As we continue to worship, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, as we continue in a series entitled Cultivated in His Character. Throughout the summer, we're looking at each of the characteristics of the nine uh, characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. And we are looking today at the seventh characteristic of a life cultivated in the character of God, the characteristic of faithfulness. This past weekend, uh, Danielle and I, along with our boys, traveled to uh, Danielle's father's uh, birthday. This was the first gathering that we had with all of her extended family gathered together. We've seen them in the midst of this last year and a half. Uh, her immediate family would not seen many of the cousins and aunts and uncles. And so it, w- it was a great time for us to be together as a family. Uh, as we brought our three boys into uh, our uh, Danielle's aunt and uncle's home, one of the frequent uh, conversations that we had is just how much our boys had grown. I mean, they're at those teenage years, uh, 15, 13. I've got a 10-year-old. And of course, in the span of uh, 18 months, two years that some have not seen them, uh, they have grown a lot. Two of them are taller than I am right now, which everyone thought was so funny, so funny in the midst of that. So one of the things that uh, we frequently talk about is who they favor. You know, as your kids grow, there's stages of their development. They look more like the father, they look more like the mother. And of course, that would be the case because we as their biological parents, our very DNA is flowing through them. And as they grow, they will reflect us. They will look like us. And it is it, as it is, not only biologically, but also spiritually, that when we have the Spirit of God that dwells in us, we are His by adoption through His Son, Jesus. Guess what? As we grow, as we grow in faith, as we abide deeply with Jesus, we are going to resemble Him. We're going to look more like Him. We will look more like our Father. We'll look more like the very characteristics that we read of in the fruit of the Spirit. What does it look like to be cultivated in His character? Well, it looks like this. Galatians 5, verses 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. The seventh characteristic of faithfulness, one of the seventh characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness, is what I want us to relish in. I want us to see the richness of. I want us to bask in the great good news that we serve a faithful God. Do you know this morning that God is always faithful to keep his word to you? Do you know that as a, as a follower of God, that he is always faithful to keep his word to you? Uh, Paul's writing to his protege in the ministry, Timothy. He comes to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and he writes this in verse 11. This saying is trustworthy, for if we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for for he, listen to this, he cannot deny himself. This is a powerful testimony of the faithfulness of our God. God doesn't wake up this morning and, and decide to be faithful in his very essence, in his very characteristic. He is a God who is faithful. He is a God who doesn't make bold statements and not follow them to completion. He is not a God who lies to us. He is incapable of lying to you. He is a God who fulfills his promises in his word. This is a truth that we hold on to because in contrast, 
to a perfectly faithful God, we at times are, are, are fickle and at times we know what it's like to live faithless lives. I mean, there are times where we overpromise and, and underdeliver. Sometimes that is intentional, sometimes that's unintentional, sometimes it's a mistake, sometimes it's a sin. We don't live in the Garden of Eden. So we make commitments and we break commitments and people make commitments to us and break commitments to us. There is in the world that we live in a a propensity that all of us have to not be perfectly faithful. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard of faithfulness. Uh, Sometimes it's a mistake. Sometimes it's innocent. I think every, every preacher's son, every preacher's daughter probably has a story like I'm about to tell you about five years ago, previous church, Wednesday night commitments that I have, that Danielle has. I come home, she comes home, we get there about the same time. I say, where are the kids? She says, where are the kids? We realize in that moment that we have left our children at church. She is horrified by this. I say, date night. This is, a, this is a blessing in disguise. You know, somebody will, they're the preacher's kids. Somebody, I mean, they're not going to throw them all on the street right here. So she ensures me the importance of going to pick up our kids, 915 at night. Wednesday night, I come back to the church. All the lights are off. They're out in the parking lot with our children's minister. All the volunteers are gone. They're freezing. They're shivering. No, it wasn't like that. But you get the point of this right here. I pick them up. They will not, as as boys are prone to, they will not, even to this day, let me forget the time I left them at church. They never say, you remember when mom left us at church? It's dad who left us at church. No, it was innocent. I've heard stories like that. I was a youth minister. There are many youth ministers. All youth ministers have a story about being on a mission trip, caravanning with vans. A friend of mine was a youth pastor. He told me how they stopped at a gas station, three different vans. He has his eight-year-old with him. He thinks his eight-year-old's in the other van. The person driving that other van thinks his eight-year-old's in the other van. Guess what? They left him back at the gas station. So I say to my kids, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. We all have stories like that. You have stories as a part part of being a parent, right? Parental fails. It happens. And thank the Lord that so often they're innocent. Thank the Lord so often that things work out and we are able to laugh about it. Now, in contrast to our mistakes, in contrast to our imperfections, we serve a God that we can count on. Do you know this? That we serve a God who will not fail you. That we serve a God who we can count on to keep his word when so many people break their promises. That we can count on a God who will neither leave you nor forsake you even when you feel abandoned by others around you. That we can count on a God who promises us that he is with us and that he is for us through his son Jesus when we feel all alone. That that you have a God that you can count on. This is good news to relish and to hold on to that, that really is a comfort to all of us. The comfort that you have in life isn't that you're able to figure everything out, control everybody. No, we are comforted that we serve a God who has figured it all out and he's got the whole world in the palm of his hand. This is our comfort that he is a faithful God. 
Years ago, there was a Brooklyn Tabernacle song that many of you maybe are familiar with that I, I can't help this last week when I was thinking of this theme, it continues to just play in sort of the soundtrack of my mind. In my own suffering, through every pain, every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. When my strength was all gone, when my heart had no song, still in love, he's proved faithful to me. Every word he's promised is true. What I thought was impossible, I've seen my God do. Why? Because he's been faithful to me. And each and every one of us that are followers of him, we can look back over our life and we can see milestones where we were weak, where we were futile, where we were fickle, where we were faithless. But God has proved his faithfulness to us in his love, in his mercy, in his grace. We all have a testimony where we can look back and see God's faithfulness throughout our life, throughout the generations. You have a God, follower of him, who is always faithful to keep his word to you. And more than that, as we think of the faithfulness of God, we have a God who is always faithful to finish what he's begun in each and every one of us who are followers of him. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he talks about the project, which is your salvation and my salvation. This renovation that God has begun in us. And, and Paul would write in the first chapter, verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful that every person who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved? And every person that is called upon the name of the Lord, he has sustained us in our sanctification. And every person who is called upon the name of the Lord, who has been justified by his work, has been sanctified by his work, will be glorified by him. Are you here and understanding that our God is faithful to bring about our salvation? That he is the one that brings it to fruition. Uh, most believers... It's not an anomaly. I think it's oftentimes a part of the journey of being a follower of God to ask the question, can I lose my salvation? Can I do things that discount God's saving work in my life? Can I say things that would break that commitment that God has made to me in his son? Can, can I not say things? Can I, can I make missteps? Or uh, there can be, the, be mishaps in my life that would discount God's love to me. And, and can I lose my salvation? And it's always a, a wonderful promise for us to be reminded of is that our salvation rests in the faithfulness of our God. That your salvation and my salvation does not rest in how hard we can grip his hands. And if I could just hold on to God, if I can hold on to him with my good works, if I can hold on to him with my pursuits, if I can hold on to him. No, that is not what salvation looks like in your life and my life. What salvation looks like is that God has us in his hands and he will not let us go. That the enemy himself cannot pry us out of his grip. He is a God who is faithful. God is faithful to justify us. He is faithful to sanctify us. And he is faithful to glorify us in his good news. This is hope for us. You cannot lose your salvation because it's not yours to lose. God has you in his hands. And he is faithful to bring to completion the good work that he has begun 
in each and every one of us who call upon the name of him for salvation. Years ago, there was a HD television renovation show. The premise of it's summed up in its title, In a Fix. You remember this? The premise of it was pretty simple. There would be homeowners who would start a home renovation project. I mean, they go into the kitchen. It's more than they thought it was going to be. They, they run out of energy. They run out of know-how. They run out of money. They, they're living in a construction zone. And then in comes the cameras. In comes the carpenters. In comes the designers. And in just 28 minutes, <laughs> they get them out of a fix. If life was just that simple, right? But I think it's just a wonderful reminder to us that God, he's never in a fix with the renovation and salvation of your life. That that he never runs out of grace to preserve you and to sustain you and to save you. That his mercy knows no limit for each and every one of us that know him as Savior. So, So the very God who brings us into a relationship with him, is sustaining us through his spirit and will ultimately bring us home in what we call our glorification. Where you meet him in death or you meet him in his second coming, he is a God who is responsible for your salvation from A to Z. And his faithfulness ensures our salvation. So this is what we want to rest in, the richness of God's faithfulness to keep his word to us, the richness of God's faithfulness to finish what he's begun in us. And finally this morning, as we are followers of him, we're followers of a God and his very essence is faithful. So as the spirit of God dwells in us and he's empowering us to serve him and to love him, so it will be that we will grow in him to be men and women who are faithful. Perfectly? No. But can we grow in faithfulness? Yes. There's a spirit of God who cries out, want to show a world full of broken promises and failed commitments that there is something different about a follower of Jesus. And one of those things is love. And one of those things is joy. And one of those things is peace. But one of those characteristics is we're cultivated in his character is the characteristic of faithfulness. What does that look like? Jesus told a parable. It's a penetrating parable about what each and every one of us are entrusted to have in life and how we're called to be stewards of that. It's in Matthew chapter 25. You know it as the parable of the talents. And Jesus tells a story like this, where it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now there's much about this parable that we could talk about. We first see that the master gives each of his servants different gifts, talents. We think of talents and we can sort of misappropriate this and think only of like singing talent. Or Many of you may remember when LeBron James was interviewed, he leaves the Cleveland Cavaliers and he takes, in his words, he takes his talents to South Beach to play for the Miami Heat. And there is a sense in which that, that what Jesus is talking about here will encompass more than the original context. But I think it is helpful for us to understand that a talent was, was a, a monetary figure. It was an amount of money. It was an enormous amount of money. Scholars differ on this. Some, some say one talent would be the equivalent of $600,000. 
Some say $900,000. We, we don't know. But you see that a person that has been entrusted by his master with five talents is an enormous responsibility. Two talents, enormous responsibility. One talent, enormous riches here. But they're differing amounts, differing talents, each according to his own ability. The master sovereignly appropriates in his goodwill the different amounts given to each of his servants. Not because they earn it necessarily, but it's because of his good gift to them. Five, two, one. The master leaves. The master leaves and the one that has five, he invests it, he uses it. That five becomes ten. The one with two invest it, uses it, and the two becomes what? Four. And the one with one, it's interesting what he does because our, our instinct is, our instinctual response to this passage is to think, you know, he did an okay thing because he could have gone off like the prodigal son and he could have squandered it. He could have gone to the Las Vegas of the ancient Near Eastern world and he could have lived it up, but he doesn't. He hides it. But the master comes back and he commends the five that becomes ten, the two that becomes four. But his harshest words are to those, uh, to, to that one servant who did not use the talent that was entrusted to him. Notice what he says in this passage, you wicked and slothful servant. You should have invested my money with the bankers and coming I should have received what was my own with interest. He says to the other, the one with five, the one with two, the one that becomes ten, and the one that becomes four, his master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. All of us as followers of Jesus, we want to hear in the end of our life, well done, that good and faithful servant. None of us will perfectly live faithful lives. We will not. That's why we need a Savior to redeem us. But as redeemed people, conformed into His image, we are called to live faithful lives. Yesterday I was driving to where Danielle's extended family lives outside of Ole Miss, Oxford, Mississippi. Down this country road, there's a little family cemetery Many times I've walked into that cemetery, and it's just amazing to me uh, all that uh, is, is represented, the, the tears and the hurts and the lives and the families and the generations right here in this, this plot of land here. There's so much about a cemetery that, that you recognize as familiar. There's so much that's different between every headstone, but, but what you see is you see birth dates and date of deaths. This unifies the presentation of lives here. Not one of us in the sanctuary had any consultation about where we were going to be born. Not one of us in this room were consulted about to whom we would be born to, when we would be born. Not one of us in this room had a say in that whatsoever. In living faithful lives, you will not have a say in, in, in when the date of death is either. These things are in the sovereign hands of a sovereign, good God. But what you and I have a responsibility with is, is that one little thing in between the date of birth and the date of death, and that one little thing is that dash. And for some of us, those dashes, they're longer than others. For some of us, they're, they're nine decades. For some of us, they're seven decades. For some of us, they're five decades. And we could go on and on. Some of those dashes, they're accountants. Some of those dashes are homemakers. Some of those dashes are professors and teachers and administrators, doctors, lawyers. 
Some of those dashes are right here in the greater Birmingham area. Some of those dashes are in Egypt. All of that is in sovereign hand of God. But here is the thing that we all need to be reminded of is what we do with our dash, God is calling us to be stewards of. We will be faithful with the dash that he entrusts to us. We will be faithful with the responsibilities that he has given to us that ultimately are a gift to us. Do you understand this? That every day that you have is a gift. That our salvation is a gift. That all that we have, all that we experience, that ultimately is a gift of the sovereign master that entrusts to us. And what we do with that, that, that is a question. Empowered by the Spirit that each and every day we have the privilege to answer. Will we be found faithful? I had a New Testament Greek professor in my undergrad. It's a wonderful professor, sort of intimidating in the way that he helped us learn Greek. Greek is a language that you have to give yourself a lot of time with. And so, out of all the ways that he could call the role, his way, freshman year, undergrad, is to call the role by not you answering present, here, but you had to answer with the amount of hours you had studied between the previous class period and that class period. Monday, Wednesday, Friday class, two-hour minimum that you had to verbally articulate when your name was called. I remember early on in the class, answering honestly on a Wednesday morning, eight o'clock Greek class, zero. He said, Mr. Eldridge, you've had the same amount of time that everyone else has. What have you done with that time? I'm at a lot of things that I've done with that 48 hours. His rationale in his question to me was, is what were my priorities? What would I give myself to? Now, a Greek professor asking me as a student is not a perfect analogy. No, no Greek professor needs to stand in for a sovereign good God. But you get the point. All of us will stand before holy God, and we will all answer to the question, what have we done with the talents entrusted to us? John Calvin, the great Genevan reformer, centuries ago said that these talents are much more than just monetary financial investments that we have. It's all of our life. It's all that who we are. It's all that we do. I think Frank Pollard, a great preacher from decades ago who's in heaven, he used to oftentimes say in his sermons that we often give our first-rate allegiance to second-rate causes. Our first-rate allegiances to second-rate causes. And I think all of us have to do sort of an inventory of our lives at times. And we have to ask ourselves, are we faithful to what God has entrusted to us? The gift of life, the gift of salvation, the gift of his mission upon our lives to go and make disciples. Are we faithful to him and what he's entrusted to us? Every time you walk into the sanctuary, this question, statement, vision is before you. Right behind me over our baptistry, you walk in here and you see the vision of our church to be found faithful as God's people. Oftentimes, oftentimes think about 
how this church, for 97 years, has had to answer the question, will we be found faithful as God's people? And we can look back over the decades of the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, and we can see God's hand in leadership. And then we realize that he's, he's calling us. He's calling us now in our families, in our workplaces, in this church, to answer the call to be found faithful as God's people. That faithfulness takes a lot of different forms, but it is none uh, the less than, than you answering the question, are you faithful to the word of God? What will be the standard that guides you? What will be the standard of right or wrong that you sit under? All of us will have a standard. Is it, is, it, is it your perception? Is it the blowing of the wind of popular opinion? Or will we sit in submission under a standard that is greater us, the standard of the word of God? Will we be faithful to God's word in this generation? Will we be faithful as men and women who bow our knees, understanding that apart from him, we can do nothing? We'll be faithful to be men and women of prayer, men and women who commune with him, understand that it is only through an intimate relationship with him that we can be the husbands and the wives and the fathers and the mothers and the workers and the employees and the employers and the faithful uh, individuals that God has called to. It's only through his spirit will we be found faithful on our knees in prayer and dependency upon him. Will we be faithful We'll be faithful with the resources that he's entrusted to us. Yes, resources of, 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 of salary and, and resources of finances, of course, yes, but it's also resources of time, pursuits, energy. Every church, every church can look back and see men and women who gave first-rate allegiance to kingdom matters. Every generation has to answer the question, will we be found faithful in giving our best to things that are of eternal value? I wonder at times, I wonder at times if this could be the generation that stands before a holy God and God says, what did you do with the dash? And we can say, I binge watched a whole lot of shows. Here's my screen time of all the amount of time that I've used pursuing all these things. Now, none of these things, don't misunderstand me here. I am not demonizing hobbies, pursuits. These things are not demonized. But, but, but when all that God has entrusted to us and he says, what have you done with the time? And we say, look at our vacation. And then this one. And then this one. And he says, what about the great commission? What about the great commandment? What about the men and women who, who sacrificed for you and poured into you as faithful Sunday school teachers? And we say to him, I just didn't have the time. We do have the time. We have the same amount of time the question is, what will we do with that time? Will I? Will you give first-rate allegiance to second-rate causes?
Or will we give our best in response to the gift and grace that we have received and a master who's entrusted so much to each of us here? What will we do with the dash? I pray that you and me, that we be found faithful as God's people.